It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You and I both knew it was coming, right? We could see this from a mile away, though we're back crowd has seems to found their way into week three of the college football season. Nevertheless, we're glad to have you here. If you're a college football fan, if you're finding us for the first time right now, welcome. We talk college football. We talk only college football every single day of the calendar year. Today is Tuesday, September 12th, 2023, the last one in history. So we're about to make it an absolute movie. We got predictions for week three. We got Georgia, South Carolina. The line right now is 27 and a half favoring the dogs in Athens. A little bit of juice around that home atmosphere and some, some fodder for Kirby Smart and the dogs to try and get the people engaged. But we know South Carolina now. They're no stranger to big lines. They're no stranger to playing upset. Go ahead and ask a... Uh, Tennessee about it, ask Clemson about it from what they did last year. Even so, we're going to break that one down for you, give you a little bit of a pick there. Also, very big week in Gainesville. Tennessee is looking to go win in the Swamp, first time in 20 years. Joe Milton, he let y'all know this this past offseason, he said, listen, man, I don't lose in the state of Florida. If that's my quarterback and I'm a Vols fan, I absolutely love that. Now, if I'm a Gator fan, I'm rubbing my hands together saying, all right, that's all we needed. All we needed was a little bit of that bulletin board material, and you gave it to us in the preseason. We've had this one circled. I promise you both sides have had this one circled for a minute now. So we'll give you our pick in that one as well. The line currently right around a touchdown, but moving a little bit, actually moved a half point in favor of the Gators since we started prepping for this one yesterday. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Colorado, man. They're the greatest show in sports right now. Deion Sanders, the head coach, Shadur Sanders playing quarterback, Travis Hunter out there wheeling and dealing. They got college game day going to Boulder, Colorado this coming weekend. College game day doesn't go to go see bad football teams historically. Not really a trend of theirs. So this is kind of the finale to phase one. They're going to play Colorado State. Even if you had Colorado hitting the under on three and a half games, which if you did, it's unfortunate because that doesn't look like a Great bet for you at this point in time. Even if you had that, though, you probably had them throttling Colorado State. So what's ahead for, for Coach Prime and company? What do they have on the horizon? Well, I think there's actually some pretty intriguing quarterback duels. So we'll talk about that in a second here as well. Like I said, we're glad to have you here. Make sure you're subscribed if you have not already. This is The Hard Count. We are live in living color three times a week. Tuesday, like we are right now. Wednesday and Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Sunday, just a ton of content for y'all. A ton of content for y'all. We hit Alabama, Texas, drove through the night, got back to the studio. Ton of content that morning to break down the day that wasn't college football. So we don't do a live show on Sunday mornings, but we do the equivalent of when it comes to the content side of things. So make sure you're locked in there. Also, follow me on the social channels, at JD Piquel on Twitter, as well as on Instagram. Both those spots are really fun for us to interact on and a great way for us to kind of share some things that we have going on that doesn't make it to the YouTube channel. Like we're, we're watching the Walk of Champions in Alabama. We're filming that. We're filming the Texas fans chanting SEC as the clock winds down in Tuscaloosa. So just make sure you're locked in there and we will uh, 
make sure it's worth your while. So I appreciate you in advance for that. All right, let's get into it here. Really quick though, really quick note before we get to the whole we're back culture that seems to be running around. I wanna make a note, we will not be talking about the whole Mel Tucker situation at Michigan State. Couple of reasons. One, everybody's already talked about it. Two, there's nothing really insightful to break down with it. He's suspended without pay. I think he's going to get fired. There's not much more to it than that. Situation is just horrific. Situation is so sad for everyone involved. And it kind of is what it is at this point. And I don't think there's a ton more that we need to really unpack together. We're kind of all on the same page there. I think he probably, like I said, gets fired. I don't think he gets fired with nothing to show for it financially. And I think that Michigan State job is going to be very, very, very attractive. And they will be able to swing for the fence with the good people in East Lansing. Early thought there. Maybe give Mike Elko a call. Just a thought. All right, let's get right into it. We're back culture. Is alive and well because Texas took down Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Miami took down Texas A&M at the crib. And there is a lot of talk now about both these brands and what they are on the college football landscape. Now that thought is not incorrect in terms of how they played this past Saturday. Both Texas and Miami took the field. And they were handing out t-shirts and juice boxes to the opposition after the game because they put on a clinic. They put on an absolute clinic. Both sides did. They looked like how you had hoped they would when we led into the season. When we were having media days, we're talking about what these teams could be. You were hoping Quinn Ewers would throw the ball for right around 350 against Alabama. You were hoping Tyler Van Dyke would look like a new version of himself that you saw from 2021. Now with this new offense, like it all kind of came together this past Saturday. It's not an incorrect thought that they played like they were back. But we all understand here, we're back is way bigger than just week two. So it's not incorrect, but it is incomplete. Because the goal for both these teams, and we said this on our Sunday morning shows, the goal was never just to beat Alabama if you're Texas. Of course it was a part of you know the climb for them to get to where they want to go. The goal for Miami was never just take down Texas A&M. Of course, big brands that you want to beat. Two football teams with pretty good talent level in A&M and Alabama. Also, two teams that both Texas and Miami respectively lost to a season ago. So it was kind of a part of that revenge tour, that payback, all that. Like There, there was a lot built into it, but that was never the goal for them just to be A&M and just to be Alabama. They have much bigger aspirations than just getting that done. What they aim for, I promise you, both in Coral Gables and in Austin, Texas, is some hardware. Something that you don't just have photos of and don't just look at the box score and say, man, that was a great time. I'm glad that we did that. But you can look back in the trophy case and say, that ACC title trophy now looks pretty good. Recruits, come and hold it. Take a picture with it if you want. Come try and get your own for your class. But we, we accomplished that. Same thing for them in Texas. They don't want to have any talk about swimming trophies for the Big 12 titles. No disrespect to swimming, but... Texas, man, football is, is, is it. Like, football is the end-all, be-all when it comes to what they want to accomplish in the 2023 athletics era, right? Before they leave the Big 12 for the SEC. Like, we're, we're all aligned there. They all understand that. The goal was never just to win in week two. It was to go get you some hardware and something that will leave a legacy. So that's part of it. Now, the other part of this, though, outside of hardware, you aim for consistency, you aim for consistency because culture for both Texas and Miami has been called into question to a degree. 
historically, I'm not saying right now, I'm saying historically, there's always been a question of, do they have guys that love football? Do they have guys that are bought into their way of doing things? Are they, are they guys that are going to be we guys and not me guys? Like that's kind of been a narrative around these big brands and around what they have to offer. Do you love football or do you love what football can do for you? The Bo Davis rant, a perfect example. Gets on the bus after they lose to, I forget who it even was, but it's during the five and seven season, the first year for, for Steve Sarkeesian, and he just lays into that entire bus. Lays into that entire bus. It was very evident, hey, culture is something that we're looking at here. Culture is something that we need to reevaluate. And culture has no better display than consistency week in and week out. Like, it's easy to get up for Alabama. It's easy to get up for the game against A&M. For the reasons I just mentioned, you wanted to have payback. You wanted to make a statement on a national stage. You got everybody's attention. Of course you want to do that, man. If you don't want to do that, you don't have a pulse. But can you get up each and every week and play like you got Alabama on the other side of the field, even when you don't? Can you get up for the game at Iowa State a little bit later in the year? Can you get up for the game at Houston if you're Texas? For Miami, when you go to Raleigh, North Carolina and play NC State, what about that? Do you treat that the same as those games? Because if you do, you're going to have a chance to, one, accomplish what you want to accomplish, and two, you get to kind of put a, a, a flag in the ground and say this is the team that shifted the culture to where we want it to be long term. This is the team that did it. And so the whole we're back narrative, it's fun, but you know what it is? Nobody in these fan bases, the reasonable part of these fan bases, is shouting that. The we're back culture is media driven. It's a media narrative. You want to know why? Because it benefits the media. And we sat here during our Texas Alabama preview and we said, regardless of who wins the football game, even if Texas wins this ball game, we are not going to partake in the we're back kind of narrative. Would it help us? I'm sure it would. You don't think a thumbnail saying they're back would do wild numbers? I promise you it would. Go and check any national outlet, and, and I promise you, you, you will find some kind of story about Texas being back or Miami being back, whatever, because it goes crazy with numbers. But the fan bases, they're like, chill out. It's week two, chill out. I remember it clear as day. This past Saturday, we're on the field. Texas just won the football game, and we're kind of taking in the entire moment, right? Like, at the end of the day, it's so cool to have a press credential, but like we are just kids in a candy store being able to be on the field in Tuscaloosa at a moment like that. So Texas wins, place is going crazy, starting to clear out, and got to talking to a couple of y'all that are part of the program that watched the show. And we kind of got into this conversation around Texas being back, Texas not being back. And one of the first things that one of y'all said was, please do not say that we're back on the air. Please, please do not say that. And I was like, hey, no, we're... We're, we're the good guys. We're not going to partake in that whole kind of narrative. I, I promise you. But the reason why they're saying that, the reason why these fan bases feel that way, it's like when your parents start telling people that you're going to get an A in a certain course after you just took the first test. Like, hey, I got, I got a lot. There's a lot of semester here left. There's a lot more that I want to accomplish. That, that's great. We did well on the first test. But hey, maybe don't go advertising that. Maybe let me keep a little bit lower of a profile before we go ahead and just tell everybody. Because if we don't get it done... What does it set you up for? Being a punchline, being on Twitter, getting quote tweeted, people digging up your old takes, old takes exposed gets after you. Like, nobody wants that. You're happy to, to win the game that you won. You're happy if you're Miami that you took down AM and Texas to, to beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, but that was never the ultimate goal. 
It's a great building block, but it's only as good as whatever you lay on top of that building block. And we're all in alignment there. So with that being said, there's a lot of ball to be played. To stick with that narrative, there is a lot of semester left to get that grade that you ultimately want, but you're encouraged. So the word back culture, I want to make sure we're on the same page here. Media-driven, not fan-driven. The reasonable fans are saying, awesome, let's get to week three. Awesome, let's get to November, and then we can start to talk about achieving what we really want to accomplish. So both those fan bases, extremely fired up, but I don't think either side, either reasonable side, is shouting, hey, we're back. They're saying, hey, you're going to have to deal with us. Are we back? I don't know, but we are for real, and we're ready for week three for either side of that fan base, for the rest of the season, rather, for either side of that fan base, much past week three. Man, it was phenomenal to be able to be in Tuscaloosa and meet so many of y'all. It was a blast to put a face to a username, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram, and wherever you follow or however you consume the show. It was just awesome to see y'all there, so we appreciate y'all for that. And if you're following on the social channels, then you got to see our, our prize picks from this past weekend. Just want to recap it really quick for you. We're going to make some more prize picks this coming live show. I guess it'll be out the board over there. But with prize picks, here's what we had. We had Jeff Sims, less than 177 and a half pass yards. That hit, right? So that square hit. We had Jalen Milrow, more than 204 and a half pass yards. That hit. Two for two right now. The third square was Travis Hunter, more than 73 and a half receiving yards against Nebraska. Y'all, I don't know if you can see that graphic. Travis Hunter had 73 receiving yards. We still hit because that's the beautiful part about prize picks. Daily fantasy. It's not a situation where you have to get all three of those in a flex play. But even so, a half yard, half yard heartbreak from Travis Hunter and company. We're not blaming him. Nobody's fault. But all that's to say, if you tailed us there, you were able to, you know, make a little bit of, a little bit of greenbacks, pay some of those Christmas presents early. But regardless, if you have not yet gotten in with prize picks, would encourage you to do so. You know, you redeem code JD, 100% deposit match, up to 100 bucks. Y'all, that's like theft. It's safe. It's easy. It's really user-friendly, legal in the majority of the United States, place you want to be locked in at, all right? So we appreciate y'all for locking in with prize picks. A lot of fun. Get set up there at Daily Fantasy. Good time to be had for all, all right? Go ahead and lock in. Also, I believe they are currently working to add it to more states as well. So prize picks, the place that you want to be. All right, let's break this one down now. We got South Carolina going to Athens, Georgia. 3.30 Eastern, CBS, Georgia is favored by 27 and a half points. Even for Georgia, for an SEC opponent, line feels a little bit large, but it's a big line for a reason. We'll talk about that here in a second. For Georgia, fall camp had just ended. You're saying, JD, fall camp ended like several weeks ago. What are you talking about? No, no, no. They just played two teams that aren't really going to give them any resistance. Like, you didn't have to show anything you didn't want to show if you're Georgia. That's no disrespect to UT Martin, but for, for Georgia, like, we, we understand they're still building towards what they want to eventually get to and be a finished product in November. So this will be their first real test. They're going to open up a little bit more, going to kind of rev the engine, and 
they're going to find out really what they have under the hood at least to start right now what they're, what they're starting with for this 2023 team that's going to go ahead and try and three-peat now Kirby Smart in Kirby Smart fashion took to the podium and spoke a little bit about the atmosphere he expects for this 330 kick in Athens Georgia with the a line that has Georgia favored by almost four touchdowns. And he added a little fuel to the fire because at SEC Media Day, Taka Hemingway did not list Georgia as one of his most difficult or most hostile places to play in the SEC. Kirby Smart mentioned that. He said, yeah, you know, Tonka kind of called us out a little bit and I'm hoping that our fans show up and engage and and just kind of happens to drop that little tidbit to get the people into it. So I'm curious to see what that atmosphere looks like, but Kirby Smart, I promise you, he's, he's trying to rally the troops. He said, I, I know what the line is. I understand that. Need everybody here, cancel your plans. Get in there, get rowdy, and let's rattle the opposition. Now for South Carolina, we said it at the top of this live show, they are no stranger to big upsets. They're not. And also, quick side note, Spencer Rattler has been bawling. I understand the North Carolina game didn't go the way that they wanted to, but even so, you don't blame Spencer Rattler for the way that game went. It was Furman, but even so, he had two incompletions. Y'all, there are quarterbacks in the country that struggled to throw less than two incompletions on air. Spencer Rattler was locked in. I'm going to go ahead and kind of be a little bit hyperbolic here. I think Spencer Rattler is a different quarterback than what we saw a season ago. He looks like he's more confident. He looks poised. He looks dialed in. So if that's the case... Things could get interesting in this one. But we understand now, it's 27 and a half. Like, it'd be very easy to just say Georgia and end the segment right there, but that's not what you came in for. The spread is what it is for a reason. Georgia has arguably the best roster in college football. They have the talent to potentially make this game boring and have it get out of hand quickly like it was a season ago. It's in Athens, so there's no like, hey, could they maybe in Williams Bryce Stadium have some issues? No, it's in Athens, Georgia. So they have that going for them. And the South Carolina offensive line, or excuse me, the South Carolina offensive line uh, allowed nine sacks against North Carolina. I love the Tar Heels. I love Mac Brown. I love Drake May. But Georgia is going to have a better defensive line than what North Carolina had. So there's a reason why the line is what it is. Very easy to tell you that Georgia's going to win this game from those points. Now, however, we have learned, we've learned the hard way on this show to not just dismiss South Carolina, not just dismiss Shane Beamer, because I sat here two weeks in a row last year and said, I love South Carolina, I love what they're doing, but they're not beating Tennessee. Came in on Sunday, I said, well, hey, it is what it is. Same thing, rewound the tape, new week. I love, I love South Carolina, but they're not beating Clemson. Then I walked in that Sunday and I was like, hey man, this team at South Carolina, I understand that was last year, but there's still this ain't no telling factor with them. Because they're not going to have all the matchups, I promise you. And South Carolina knows that. But in an upset, you don't need to have all the matchups. You just got to have one. You got to have one matchup and you got to milk that thing like a cow. And that matchup for them is what it was in those past two games last season where they had the big upsets. And that Spencer Rattler to Juice Wells having their day. All right? Now, is that going to be you know, the, the end-all be-all for them in this game? I don't know. I think you got to have something to pair with him. I think you maybe need some other weapons to step up and make some plays. But the other thing that South Carolina has going for them, there is the potential in this game for there to be a little bit of a recalibration period here for Georgia. 
And when I say recalibration period, I don't mean that Georgia just kind of sleepwalks out there for the first half and they just look abysmal. But I am saying it wouldn't be unreasonable if there is a even one quarter adjustment where Georgia is still kind of acclimating to what it's like playing another SEC team. Now, they play the best team in the SEC every single week during practice, so I hear you, but it's very different to go out there during practice than to do it in a Saturday afternoon kind of setting takes a little bit of something to get up and go for a game where you're favored by four touchdowns. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying if that does happen, advantage South Carolina, pair that with the Juice Wells potential that he has there and what he could do, things get interesting. Because we had Rusty Mansell of Dogs HQ this past offseason, and we're talking on, I believe it was the On3 Roundtable YouTube channel. So subscribe here and there if you haven't already. We asked Rusty, Rusty, how do you beat Georgia? And he was straight up and said, listen, you got to have the matchups on the outside. Like Marvin Harrison Jr. had against Georgia in the college football playoff, like that was the differentiating factor for them. Now, Juice Wells isn't Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a one-of-one, but you hear what I'm saying. If you can have that one matchup on the outside, there's at least a chance. Like Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. And that's what South Carolina has. They have a chance. That's why they play the games. But again, the big question, do they have anything to go with it? Here's my concern. Tennessee's good. Clemson's really good. The talent and the way that this defense is coached at Georgia, I think they are too good to let one player beat them in Juice Wells. And so the task for Georgia then becomes just don't give it away. Because it ain't Stetson Bennett playing quarterback anymore in Athens. I love Stetson Bennett, but you got Carson Beck now playing quarterback. Also a new offensive coordinator in Mike Bobo. And they have, I think, kind of taken their time getting their sea legs. In this game, though, you just can't give it away. Like Carson Beck can't have a stat line where he throws two, three interceptions, one touchdown, and Georgia is fighting for their life in the fourth quarter. Like that would be the situation you would find yourself in. You cannot give this game away if you're Georgia, if you're Carson Beck. So I'm curious to see how he responds in this kind of situation. This will be his first real meaningful minutes as the guy at Georgia, as Rusty Mansell likes to say. But here's the deal, man. Going back to the roster, and it's kind of a cop-out, but it's a cop-out for a reason. There is so much talent at Georgia. This roster, I think, is going to show a little bit of a sense of urgency with what was said about the, the environment in, in Athens, with this, this new offense trying to prove itself, if we can even say that, if we can even call it new with the new quarterback, a new OC. And I think we see this team really rev the engine for the first time. Like These dogs, I think, are going to, going to be hunting a little bit in this game and we think Georgia ends up winning this one I don't know if they end up covering the number but let's go ahead and take Georgia and we'll take South Carolina to cover in this game but we like Georgia to win this football game in Athens and I want to see the, the offense score points if I'm Georgia we'll go ahead and take the final score as 45 South Carolina scores 28 that'd be a lot of points for South Carolina but we'll go ahead and say 45 28 Georgia gets it done South Carolina ends up covering. It's going to be a good one to watch now, though. I cannot wait to watch that. appreciate everybody tuned in live. If you could like the video, that would be tremendous. We would appreciate you for that. We're going to go ahead and tweet out that we're about to pick Tennessee and Florida here. So we'll let the good folks get into the YouTube channel right now. Also, if you're listening on podcasts, we appreciate you. You don't get enough credit. You don't get enough praise because you're not tuned in live and we're not getting you in the live chat. But even so, we appreciate you. If you're listening on Spotify or if you're listening via Apple Podcasts, we're glad to have you a part of this. All right. So with that being said, 
Let's get right into it now. Let's pick Tennessee out Florida because Tennessee is going to Florida. The line is Tennessee being favored by six and a half points. Since we started prepping for this now, it's moved a half point in favor of Florida. Does that mean anything? I don't know. 7 Eastern, ESPN, I promise you, the swamp will be going absolutely crazy. It will be absolutely crazy. Tennessee has not won in Gainesville in 20 years. Joe Milton let him know. He said, hey, I don't lose in the state of Florida. We asked him about it at SEC Media Days, and he said it was taken a little bit out of context, was that quote, but he also didn't back off of it either. It's like, listen, I'm from Florida. I'm going to have some people there. Like, it is what it is. He's going to be ready for this one. this one. This one means a little bit of something to Joe Milton. And I promise you the Swamp will be fully engaged to start. For Tennessee, this is a tone setter game. Remember how we viewed Tennessee after this game last year. We kind of started to take Tennessee a little bit more seriously after they beat Florida in Neyland. But now you got to go to the Swamp. Can they do it? I can't wait to watch it. We'll break it down here in a second. Talk about Florida in a minute as well. Really quickly though, make sure you're subscribed to this channel right here. It's college football and only college football. No additives, no agendas, no high fructose corn syrup, just ball right here every single day, live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Want you a part of this, so make sure you're locked in. Thank you in advance for that. For Florida now, if you beat Tennessee, everything is just better in Gainesville, right? I mean, the, the, the bed is more comfortable, the weather is better, there's less traffic. Like Life is just overall a better situation in Gainesville, Florida, if you take down Tennessee. All that talk around Billy Napier, is he the guy, is he not the guy? You take down Tennessee, I promise you. I don't know if that goes away, but you for sure take that volume knob and you dial that back quite a few notches. Because this rivalry now, it means electric something. And a big part of this game early on is going to be the external, especially for Tennessee. Now, that swamp going to be right there on top of you. That crowd will be in your ear. They will be screaming. It will be loud. It will be raucous. It will be every adjective you can put into that. And the first quarter will determine the impact of it for Tennessee going forward. Because for Tennessee, they've got the pressure to win this game. Haven't not done it in 20 years. We'll say that one more time. Haven't won in 20 years in the swamp. I promise you. The good people in Gainesville, Florida, they know that. They know what Joe Milton said. And there's a, there's a feeling that the way that this game starts in my opinion, is going to feed the beast that is the, the crowd in the swamp. Like, if you get a turnover early in your Florida, if you get to the quarterback and, and, and cause a sack, or if you create a false start, like, that's just going to cause this whole operation with the external, with the crowd, to compound, grow louder, create belief like we've seen it a million times. If Florida's going to win this football game, the crowd is going to be a factor. Now, for Florida, here's the task. You got to keep them engaged. Got to keep putting logs into that fire. Got to keep heaping coal into that furnace. You want to know how to stop that whole crowd from being a factor? Do what you did against Utah. Stupid penalties. False starts. Guys with the same jersey number on the punt return team. Have a turnover. Have a quick three and out. That will take the crowd out of it. And I'm not saying you can't do one of those things, just one time, a one-off, if you will. But if you do it a couple of times, like... The home field advantage, it's still there, but it starts to dial back. To win this football game, I think you need that to be a factor. So keep an eye on how this thing starts in the first quarter. That's going to set the tone now for what this crowd does throughout the duration of this football game. The matchup to watch for me in this one, the Tennessee wide receiving core and the Florida secondary. Because the Florida secondary, not statistically been bad, but they had some subpar moments 
most notably the first play of the game against Utah where Money Parks goes deep and just takes the top off the defense and Utah connects with just a body blow early that changed the trajectory of that game and for Tennessee now they have some firepower they have some uh some horses that can run in that wide receiver room Squirrel White gonna be one of them he's been clocked going right around 23 miles per hour that's speeding in a residential keep an eye on what he does They've got some dudes, right? That's what we're trying to say here. They've got some horsepower in that wide receiving core, and they are going to take some shots. They're going to progress to it. They're going to run the football, cause those safeties to commit a little bit. They're going to hit some intermediate game and ratchet up to where we'll all probably get a sense for it on the broadcast when they have, let's call it second and four. Joe Milton's probably at this point, let's say he is five for seven with 34 yards. They're going to take a shot. They're going to take a shot. How Florida responds to that is going to be crucial. Because if Florida can keep a lid on that deep pass game and keep from the explosive plays from happening, that changes what they do offensively. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what this whole matchup hinges on, in my mind, is how the game is played. Because if Tennessee is just lighting off rockets like the 4th of July, and Joe Milton's just... Just slicing and dicing and throwing deep shots all over the field. Like that changes the trajectory of what you ask of your offense. Just like that Utah game. If you have Graham Mertz throwing the football 30 plus times, y'all, we got a problem in Gainesville. Like that's not the situation you want to find yourself in if you're a Florida Gator fan saying, okay, third and seven, down 13-0. Graham Mertz, go out and win the game for us. That's not the game plan. The game plan is to give the ball to your best players in Trevor Etienne, and Montrell Johnson. The subplot within that, though, if we're dropping back a lot, if we're Florida, that gives that Tennessee pass rush a chance to get after us. James Pierce, he was an outlier for on three in Charles Power during his time as a recruit. We had him as a five-star. We had him as the number two edge in the country, and so far he has lived up to that billing in a very, very big way. Three sacks so far on the year. He had two against Virginia. If they get to obvious passing situations, if they get to obvious, obvious passing points in the game where they have to score to keep pace, he is going to eat and he's going to eat greedy. Florida offensive line did not look good against Utah. So you want to stay out of that situation. To the same token, though, if you're Florida, you cannot afford to panic. Can't afford to panic, especially if you go down early. Let's say it's 10-3 early or 13-3 early. Not ideal. But you got a lot of ball to be played. Got a whole runway to go. Let's take it slow. Let's get in rhythm. Let's not just commit to throwing the ball around the yard and trying to play Tennessee's game. Florida's not going to win this football game playing at Tennessee's pace. That's just it. They want to change the pace. They want to make it so it's Montreal Johnson right, Trevor Etienne left. Get right around third and two. If we can live in third and two when we're Florida, we're going to be in good shape. But don't go try to chase points and play Tennessee's game. That's not the way this whole thing wants to shake out if you're Florida. Now, here's the differentiator for me in this football game. Here's what could change everything. Kind of like we talked about a second ago. Joe Milton in the big play and his deep ball, Bazooka Joe throwing an orange like 100 and however many yards, can throw a football 90 yards. If they connect on some of those deep passes, this thing gets really interesting. Because then what does that do? Probably solves every issue Tennessee could potentially have. Sounds hyperbolic, but I don't know that it is. You hit on a couple deep passes, that swamp, man. A little bit quieter. Volume gets turned down quite a bit. That box, they're trying to stack and keep Tennessee from getting in rhythm because they want to be a run-first operation. Make no mistake about it. 
hit a few deep passes, you can't add those numbers into the box. you got to be a little bit more conservative defensively. It also boosts the confidence of Joe Milton. I understand he's a six-year guy. I understand that he has played a lot of ball and been around college football for a long time. But you go drop some dimes in the swamp in your home state after talking that cash. There's some self-belief that that creates within you. That also creates some belief within that locker room, within that team that, hey, we, we can do this. All right. I think they already have that edge, but to be able to do that in a setting like this, in a game like this, that you haven't won in 20 years on the road, like, hey, now, that would give some juice to this Tennessee football team. So the pressure in this game is definitely on Tennessee. This is a huge get right opportunity for Florida. But at the end of the day, man, I think the firepower for Tennessee and what they have in this past game is so much of a potential boom factor in this one that if they, like I said, if they connect on a couple shots and they get up on them and force Florida to keep pace, I don't believe that they can. So Florida, for me, I actually think that six and a half number in favor of Tennessee is pretty appealing. I like Tennessee to win this game in the swamp for the first time in 20 years, set the course for the rest of the season for the Vols. I think Tennessee wins this game Final score in the swamp, 34-20. to 20. And Joe Milton and Josh Heupel, this entire Tennessee operation, sort of dust off the shoulders, all that 20-year stuff about not winning the swamp. They kind of put that in the rearview mirror. They charge forward the rest of the way, and we see them start to kind of get their sea legs and make some noise in the SEC. Because that, that game last week now against Austin P really looked like a look-ahead spot to me with how they played. Did not play well. No way around it. Joe Milton did not look good. No way around it. I think that came at the perfect time for them, to be honest. I understand it was self-inflicted. You never want to have a look-ahead spot, but I think the sense of urgency that creates heading into this game, I think it means something, and I think we see it pay dividends for them when clock hits triple zeros in Gainesville. Fires me up, though, man. Going to be a lot of fun to watch fires me up week three a lot of talk about week three being a sleepy slate and no good games like we're gonna do more predictions tomorrow we got washington at michigan state we got missouri kansas state like there's there's some games to talk about here don't let them fool you another game that is going to be talked about a lot this upcoming weekend is colorado's game and that would be the way regardless of who colorado played but colorado has got colorado state coming to town and not just them, but also College Game Day is coming to town. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit. Spoiler alert, I think Colorado wins that game. I think they cover. And I think it is just an exclamation point on phase one of the Deion Sanders 2023 campaign. Now, what's ahead for them? That's what I really want to talk about. Make sure you're subscribed right here. It's college football and nothing else on this YouTube channel, on this show, The Hard Count. We are live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, as we are right now. Make sure you're locked in. There is no time to be wasted. College football season gives us 12 weeks and maybe a couple extra weeks for bowl season and for the New Year's Six and the National Championship. Before you know it, it's going to be gone. So my sentiment that I'm trying to communicate here is we want you a part of this. We want you locked into this program. No more time to miss shows. So thank you in advance for that. We appreciate you being dialed in with us. Roll party roll. As I was saying, this game right now that they play against Colorado State, this is like the grand finale to phase one. They have everyone's attention right now. 
And they've earned that attention. And it's not just been what they've done on the YouTube side of things and the social media and what they've done there because they've crushed it there, right? No shade being thrown. I mean this with all sincerity. They have crushed it in those avenues. But they've also crushed it where it matters, on the field. It's not just this bravado. It's not just this talk and this image and this brand they've put out there. They have backed it up 110% on the field. That game against TCU on the road put everybody on notice. That game against Nebraska at the crib in Boulder, I mean, they are who they think they are right now. But the reality is this game against Colorado State, even if you had Colorado winning three football games, you had them beating Colorado State. So this will be a grand finale. It'll be a phenomenal platform for their team. And it is kind of closing the book on this first phase for Colorado. Because there's still a lot of people saying, yeah, but it was TCU and TCU lost a lot. I know they were ranked high. I know it was in Fort Worth, but hey, come on now. Like TCU lost their whole offense. A lot of people saying, well, it's great you beat Nebraska, but come on. First year for Matt Rule. Let's all just kind of dial back expectations. Let's dial back what we're talking about with Colorado. And that's what they're saying. They're saying, hey, great, but I need to see more. Or they're invalidating what you did those first two weeks. And that's fine because you look at what's ahead for Colorado, and it is an enormous opportunity. They go at Oregon, and then they go and play USC uh, in Colorado, actually. So on the road, then back home, two teams that are, to be real, probably the class of the Pac-12 right now next to Utah. And these two games, I think, have a chance to prove to everybody exactly what Colorado will be competing for when it comes to November. Because in these games, if you beat either of these teams, there's no wondering about Colorado anymore. We'll talk about that more in a second. Here's what I'm most excited for in these football games. You know who plays quarterback for Oregon and for USC, respectively? You got Bo Nix, you got Caleb Williams, two of the best in the country. And I expect both these games to have a similar style of play to them. Like, I expect the offenses to score points in a very big way. That's not throwing shade at any three of those defenses. There's just question marks. And also, there's really good quarterback play. So, Shadour Sanders, the pressure falls on his shoulders, and that pressure is privilege. And I promise you, he has these games circled as well. He's a competitor. He's ready to prove what he's made of. He's heard all the talk about Bo Nix. He's heard all the talk about Caleb Williams and what they are in the Pac-12. Shadour Sanders feels like he's a pretty good quarterback, too. Everyone in Boulder, Colorado feels like he's a guy that should get some more buzz. I believe Mel Kuyper just put him as the number three quarterback when it comes to next year's NFL draft prospects. Like, he's getting some juice now. This will be a chance for him to prove it. Because in these games, he doesn't need to have the better stat line. But if Colorado wins those football games against Oregon on the road and when USC comes to Boulder, it will be because of Shadour Sanders. He has to be the difference maker. There is no world where Colorado ends up 2-0 and through that two-game stretch, and you get an average Shadour Sanders where he throws like 200 yards, maybe one interception, two touchdowns. Like That will not be his stat line if you see a dub next to the Colorado logo in either of those games. He will be the difference maker. He is the one who is the catalyst for this offense. The offense goes through him. Quick game, he's got to be dialed in. He's got to know where he's going pre-snap. When it comes to taking those deep shots, he's got to pre-snap see the coverage, know where he's going with the football, take pressure off the offensive line. Shadour Sanders is the straw that stirs the drink. And he has done it phenomenally well to this point. These two games, though, are going to be a new test and kind of phase two for Deion Sanders and company, for Shadour Sanders and company. So think about it this way. If they go 2-0, how are we talking about Colorado? 
If you beat Oregon and you beat USC, how are you talking about Shadour Sanders? I think at that point, you're heading into October and you're undefeated and your toughest test is at Utah to end the year. You also play Oregon State, but you play them in Boulder. Like, are we talking about Colorado as a college football playoff contender in their first year? And y'all, that sounds crazy to say, but I think it's a reality. I think it's fair to, to throw that out there when it comes to Shadour and when it comes to Travis Hunter and, and Deion Sanders, like all the pieces they have there, if they're sitting in October undefeated, having beat Oregon on the road and having beat USC, I don't know that those hurdles are too much tougher than what they'll have ahead of them. Now, I'm not saying you pencil them in there and say, oh, easy dub against Oregon State, easy dub at Utah. I'm not saying that, but I am saying you take Colorado a lot more seriously than maybe you do already. Also, Shadur Sanders, what are we saying about his Heisman candidacy? If he puts up numbers and wins quarterback duels against Bo Nix and Caleb Williams, respectively, like, I think you got to throw him in that conversation. You got to throw him in as the guy to eventually take Colorado to be in that New Year's Six college football playoff territory and being the guy to do it probably launches him into that Heisman candidacy, at least that Heisman upper echelon, that, that, that Heisman finalist range, right? I don't want to get too ahead of myself in talking about the Heisman Trophy because we're sitting here heading into week three, but you hear the sentiment I'm saying. Phase one, wrapping up this Saturday. Phase two will fall on the shoulders of Shadur Sanders and have a tremendous ramp now to launch them into a different stratosphere when it comes to the college football landscape. Because here's something that I think is, is not being talked about enough with Colorado. And I, I mean, it's not being talked about enough with Colorado in a unbiased, like even way. Deion Sanders is 2-0 and and has tremendous good faith baked into what he's done these last two games. But there's also kind of this outside narrative about having to believe in Colorado. Like that's kind of the question people are being bombarded with is do you believe, do you believe you don't believe? And it's like, I don't think it's unrealistic to say they've stacked really good proof, but then to also sit here and say, yeah, I believe what I've seen so far. But also, if you're expecting me to believe something, I want to see something as well. I want to see you beat a top team in college football. I want to see you beat an Oregon. I want to see you beat a USC. So it's not like you're a non-believer because you're still holding some, some cards here in terms of what you believe in with Colorado. I believe in Colorado. I think they've done phenomenal so far. Am I holding my breath on what they do at Oregon and against USC? Absolutely. But they are... 1,000% a better operation than I think the majority of the college football landscape expected them to be when it came to the preseason. They've surpassed expectations 1 million percent. We said before the year, if they make a bowl game, build Deion Sanders a statue in front of the stadium because that would be as impressive a feat as any this upcoming season. So what I want to say is right now they're stacking proof. It's understandable that there's some things that you're still questioning with them. But if they beat Oregon, and if they beat USC, there's no wondering anymore. At that point, when Deion Sanders looks at you in the press conference and says, do you believe? And they're 2-0 in that stretch. You just nod your head, say yes, and write your article. Like that, like that would be the world we live in with Colorado and Deion Sanders and Shadur Sanders. So that's the, the runway for them. Tremendous, tremendous opportunity here in phase two of the 2023 mission. For Colorado and Shadour Sanders and Deion Sanders, I cannot wait to watch it. And again, if they go 2-0 through that stretch, mic drop, period, the end, Colorado is a force in the college football playoff picture.
Who would have thought we'd be saying that at this point in the year? Who would have thought that we would say Colorado is a potential college football playoff contender heading into October? That's why you got to love this sport, man. There are no absolutes. All right, now, right, right now, we're going to take some questions from the live chat. Before we do that, though, we're going to let you all know about Roback. But get your questions in. Going to answer them here in short order. All right, so you guys all know how much I love Roback. I wear them all the time. I do it for a reason. They have the best polos on the entire market. And if you need a polo to last you the entire day on a hot game day, Roback is your answer. Saw a few of these in Tuscaloosa. I promise you that was a smart move from all y'all that wore it at the tailgate, at pregame, during the stadium, like whatever you were doing with Roback. If you had it on, you had a more comfortable situation than the guy next to you not wearing Roback. The moisture wicking technology and four-way stretch makes it easy to move while keeping you feeling fresh. Roback's everyday shorts are the perfect pairing as well. They are so comfortable and have an elastic waistband and great fabric that is made to stretch. Roback has also proudly been leading the new NIL charge, having signed partnerships with college stars like Kate Klubnick, Kyle McCord, Nick Singleton, Jalen Milrow, and Audric Estime. They have also teamed up with the legendary Coach O. So use code JD on Roback.com for a generous 20% off for all new customers through the end of this week. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. That's 20% off all performance polos, shorts, and more with code JD. Just in time for football season, make sure to check them out at Roback.com. Good people at Roback, man. Good people. They've been with us here for a minute since before this show got to Nashville, Tennessee. Good people. They get us. They're college football fans. Cannot recommend them enough. All right, appreciate everybody tuned in live. Make sure you like the video. Make sure you're subscribed. Let's get rolling now. Let's get to y'all's questions. We cannot call ourselves the People's College Football Show if we don't involve the people into the show. So bringing on now the man of the people, heavy lifter extraordinaire, producer for the hard count, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, baby? JD, my question for you really quick. Uh, who has more passing guards this weekend in the Ohio State WKU game? Kyle McCord uh, or you take an Austin Reed? <sighs> That's tricky. So I'm going to go Kyle McCord here. For those of y'all that don't know, Austin Reed, for a moment in time there, jumped in the portal. Mm-hmm. Everybody and anybody wanted him. A lot, a lot of high-profile teams wanted Austin Reed to be their quarterback this coming season. Regardless, though, I like that Ohio State secondary, Nick. I think Kyle McCord throws for more yards, and uh, we'll say Ohio State ends up getting it done. But Western Kentucky now, that, that could, could be sneaky. Look-ahead spot for Ohio State, you know. I, I, I don't know. How, how are we feeling about that game, Nick? Uh, I, I don't feel, very, I mean, how could you feel good about, yeah, you know, I mean, WKU's chances of winning that. Got a puncher's chance though. For those of y'all that don't know, Nick Brake is a, uh, is a Western Kentucky hilltopper. He is a, a proud graduate mm-hmm. of the university, but yeah, that'll, that'll be a fun one. Nick should learn some yep. more about that Ohio state secondary there. Absolutely. Uh, first question, Matt Craig, I believe this is the best team James Franklin has had. Do you think they play with the guys up front on offense? and defense to make a playoff run. I think they do. I'm not so concerned about the lines of scrimmage for Penn State. I'm more concerned about Drew Aller when we get to the games against Michigan, against Ohio State, because we know what this roster is built to do. We've talked about it on this show quite a bit. They're built to win 10 football games. That kind of feels like the floor. Now, kind of feels like, and actually being the floor are different things, but we've seen with Sean Clifford kind of managing the show, they can win 10 football games. With Drew Aller now, kind of putting a, 
a different engine into that operation and being able to go a little bit quicker and be a little bit more potent offensively. That is the reason for optimism in Happy Valley. So I think they absolutely can be a college football playoff team. They are going to find out what they're made of against Michigan and against Ohio State. So curious to see his maturation, but at this point, I think it's absolutely fair to have very high expectations for, uh, for the Nittany Lions. Um, JD, really quick, uh, we've got a question. Did you already cover the U? Yes, we did. Scroll, if you haven't already rewinded, go back. Uh, we talk about them a little bit in our opening segment, uh, talking about the, uh, what was it called, JD? The we're back. Uh, we're back culture, man. We're back culture. got to be yeah. careful of it. Because I, I don't think the people in Coral Gables are shouting we're back. I think you mm-hmm. have a lot of people with microphones and that right headline saying Miami is back, Texas is back. And like, I'm sure they're feeling like they played like they're back, but they, they want to see what they do when it comes to ACC play. They, they want to see what they look like when it comes to the end of the season and what hardware they get to hoist. But, I mean, if you're a Miami fan, you got to be encouraged what you saw against a and I mean, that, that, was, that was a team you scored nine points against last year in College Station. You went for over 40. So, so far, so good. It's week two. We're not participating in we're back culture, and we understand that there is a segment of the industry that will, and so it is what it is, but we wanted to make sure we had that conversation. So, I mean, yeah. so so far, though, so good for Miami, Nick. Yep. Got to be encouraged by it. Uh, Dylan, will Nebraska bench Jeffy Sims? <laughs> Man, I don't know what his, I don't know what his status is. That he, he may not play from a pure health standpoint. For those of y'all that don't know, Jeff Sims has given the football to the other team too much, to put it simply, too many times. And so the excitement with him was all these tools and all of this ability. And the thought was that maybe he hadn't been in the right system just yet to maximize his ability and maximize those tools. Unfortunately, Nebraska has not been able to get out of their own way. And so I think for Nebraska, it is reasonable to say maybe you look at to, uh, you know, uh, Heinrich Harburg or uh, Chuba Purdy or, or Chuba Purdy, however you say it. So that's kind of the feel right now is, hey, we, we, we don't see it working right now. We got to make a change. They may just give somebody else a chance this week, Nick, for the sheer fact that uh, he I think he might have sprained his ankle. Little, little lower body injury there for Jeff Sims. But I will say this too: Jeff Sims earned a single digit number at Nebraska under Matt Rule. That means something. That means that you're doing things the right way. It means you're balling. Like So if, if there's any assurance to be taken for him being the guy at Nebraska, if you maybe want to give him a little bit longer, take confidence in he earned that single digit behind closed doors. So we'll see what happens here the rest of the way. I don't think he'll be the guy for you this upcoming weekend or maybe the next couple weekends, but keep an eye on that as, it, as we go forward and uh, see if it's an it's a issue that is just – Jeff Sims specific or if it's offense wide and we maybe have bigger issues than just who's playing quarterback uh JD this is a good one Mark Thomas Walker uh FSU at Clemson just got announced as a noon game do you think that hurt or do you think the less energized environments that's in quotes will hurt Clemson's chances compared to a night game you know I think it will I mean I think either way that's going to be a big one for the the fan base because that's like that's your get right opportunity right I mean there's all this talk about this game being undefeated for both teams and it being a night game and now it's a noon game and I think some of that has to do with Clemson having a little bit of less juice out of the gate and dropping that game to Duke the interesting thing though here it also could provide less juice for Florida State I mean you walk in on the road sleepy noon kick you're supposed to beat Clemson now like what what's going on there 
I'm curious to see how that Florida State team handles it. So I don't know if it's, you know, an advantage that Clemson wanted with them not getting that as a night game and having the crowd be into it, maybe college game days there. But also the other side of that is there's probably less juice potentially there for Florida State. So it kind of goes two ways there, Nick, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Zach says two things. JD, one thing. Well, he says two, but you underestimate the Gators D. Gators D is legit. Then comes back and says this. Gators will swarm Saturday night. Expect three plus turnovers. Now, JD, you've talked all you talked all offseason about the Gators defense, but uh, do you think they can create three turnovers against Tennessee? I think they could. Now, will they? That's a Joe Milton situation. I think it's also a situation where how does this game start? Is the crowd into it? Do they rattle Joe Milton? Is that something where he's seeing ghosts? He's making poor decisions. It really does go back to the way that Utah game went in my mind. The defense actually played pretty well outside of that very first play. Now, the unfortunate reality is that very first play still counted in the overall outcome of the game. So I love Austin Armstrong. I love what they're doing defensively. I think they have good personnel. I wonder if they have the overall team speed to keep pace with what Tennessee's going to do from a tempo standpoint and from a just vertical attack standpoint. So it'll be it'll be big to win those first couple of plays within a drive to keep that progression from ramping up for a Joe Milton to where they do take deep shots. I like the personnel defensively for for Florida. I just don't know they have the horses to run with what Tennessee has. So if they get three turnovers, though, I mean, this game could get interesting. And you're probably talking about Florida having a little bit of a upset cooked up at home for Tennessee. But I'm I'm sticking with it, Nick. I still think that Tennessee is the team to get it done. And I still think they end up scoring a fair amount of points against that Florida defense. Okay. I've been wrong before. Yeah, been wrong many times, but I, I don't think that we're uh, we're off base here when it comes to picking that one. JD, two uh, two questions left. I love it. Let's you do two that? more. Okay, uh, start with Keaton Vaughn. Um, what does Rattler have to do to have a good game against Georgia? I can't be sacked, so he needs. Can't to be sacked. Yeah, I mean, they, they did a better job last weekend of getting the ball in space, getting the ball out of his hands, and having him roll out. But even so, like I don't, I really don't think this is a game that Spencer Rattler just wins for you. Even even if he has a great game, I think it comes down to are there other pieces around him to be able to get to the level that he needs to get to? Like, is, is Juice Wells playing at the level he played at the end of last year? Is, is the offense operating at a level to where we're not asking Spencer Rattler to put the entire game on his shoulders? Now, he still has to play well. He still can't turn the ball over. He still can't throw multiple interceptions. But at the exact same time, like, I, I don't think this is a game where you end it and say, man... Spencer Rattler just took over and beat that Georgia defense single-handedly. I think Georgia's just too talented overall, and that roster is too stacked. They're too well-coached to have that be the case. So he's got to bring it, but somebody else has to bring it too. You know what I'm saying, Nick? Mm-hmm. Got, got to be an overall effort there. Uh, J.D., before I ask the last question, a new little uh, hashtag has started, Gemini Method. Hashtag tell J.D. Florida has a more talented roster. Um, Hey, so how I like could that. they not have hashtag tell JD? I that's, like it. That's tell good. JD. Let's start it. Tell JD is a new hashtag as well. There we go. Um, Setting trends. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. Sean Kelly asked a couple questions about Michigan. Uh, I'm going to scroll because next. Okay, there we go. Hashtag SJD is JJ McCarthy a real Heisman contender? If not, what more does he have to do? JJ McCarthy can be a Heisman Trophy contender. We all understand this, though. Michigan's season will be defined in November. Haven't played anybody just yet. He's put up great numbers. He's done what you have expected him to do, to be real with you, to this point in the year against who they've played against. 
Let's kind of hold the J.J. McCarthy Heisman card a little bit longer. Overall, man, let's just hold the Heisman conversation until we get to November. It's an award that's won in November. It's a thing where you have to have a certain amount of team success. I think Michigan will have that success. But can J.J. McCarthy win it? Absolutely. The question becomes, is he able to have an open enough offense to put up the numbers to compete with a Caleb Williams, to compete with a Bo Nix, heck, a Shadour Sanders. So we're going to hold judgment on that, but can he? Absolutely. It's definitely a, a question of will they, to be honest with you, when it comes to, to Michigan and how they run things. JD, they like to run the football there, Nick. Absolutely, man. Uh, T. Johnson, before I go, said they're going to keep it real and that Tennessee's going to blast uh, Florida. Uh, somehow we will be undisciplined just watch. So that's the first fan I've had today uh, in the chat, like first team fan that has been very real and pessimistic. Even George, well, George Scott, Alabama fan, also has been too. But, J.D., uh, what do you think about the fans that maybe aren't so positive about their team in the I, chat today? I will say this. Around this time last week, we had a certain Texas fan tell us that they thought Alabama was about to kick in Texas. <laughs> and then one thing led to another, and we obviously know how that went. So sometimes pessimism is the best medicine to prepare yourself for the game, kind of gets you dialed back a little bit. And then when they kick it off, you can start to root accordingly and have those hopes build back up. But you start from a kind of a low spot to where you're not super disappointed if it comes out that way. But overall, it's that time of year, baby. It's that time of year where we get to start talking about our team doing this or not doing this and it's just it's a beautiful thing so nick i appreciate you man thanks for holding it down absolutely and uh thanks everyone for some great questions and great uh great comments as well that's the man nick break nick we'll see you tomorrow same time same time beautiful again nick break heavy lifter extraordinaire doing everything you see here punching the show managing the queue all that in a bag of chips Y'all, if you have not yet subscribed, we would love to have you here. Again, the hard count is live in living color. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. It's ball, and it's only ball. Tomorrow, we're talking through our top 10 teams in the country. We're picking Washington State and Michigan. Or, excuse me, Washington State and Michigan State. And all that, and a couple more breakdowns, a lot to talk about. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. I'm Jody Piquel. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.